You're listening to the Podcast Detroit Network. Visit www.podcastdetroit.com for more information. Welcome to Smart Sex, Smart Love. We're talking about sex goes beyond the taboos and talking about love goes beyond the honeymoon. I'm Dr. Joe Court. Thanks for tuning in. Hello, my guest this week is transgender activist and mental health clinician Jacob Rostovsky, M.A. Jacob came out at 13 years old as trans and has been fighting for transgender rights, acceptance, and access to affirmative care ever since. Jacob consults and trains fellow clinicians in trans-affirmative mental health care and is currently working on a weekend-long training for both mental health and medical health providers around affirmative transgender care. Jacob is here to talk about trans-affirmative mental health care, how affirmative differs from informative and accepting, intersecting identities, how being transgender intersects with all different identities, and trans, sex, and sexuality, that it's less complicated than you think. Welcome, Jacob. Hi, thank you for having me. Oh, so glad. I'm so glad to have you. We met in one of my LGBT trainings, and um, where was that? Was that in California? Yeah, that was Los Angeles. Oh, that's right. Okay. I'm going to be coming back there in January, so that'll be good. Maybe we can connect and have lunch. But you added so much great stuff to my talk, and I realized that, you know, as much as I, you know, this is such a moving target, as much as you know, there's even more to know, and it's changing. So thank you. I'm so glad you're here. Most of what I'm glad about is that you're going to talk about at some point in this is trans sex and sexuality, because I actually went to a full conference with a well-known name organization, and they got through all the trans issues and never talked about sex. And at the end, I said, I can't believe. And they said, you have to give us time. We're just starting these. And it was a few years ago. But I still think, don't you think there's not enough talking about sex and sexuality amongst trans? Yeah, there there really isn't. And that's something that as a mental health clinician uh, with my clients one-on-one, it, like that's what most of our sessions involve is like navigating sex and sexual relationships because that's just something that as a community we're dying to talk about. I'm so glad to hear that. And, and because we're taught now, I still hear people saying, you know, you have to be careful how you ask the questions and, you know, um, people can get a lot of anxiety in the room and maybe even be, uh, you know, in the therapy room I'm thinking about or even be, um, offended. Is that true? Or what would you say about that? Um, I feel that it's always best to take the client's lead. Uh, if we're talking about like therapy, um, so not so much asking the questions, but creating the space for the client to open up and have them sort of ask the questions or be there to process. But as far as like training, I think people should ask questions. That's the whole point is to have someone to ask so that they don't offend someone else. Yes. And that's what it sounds like you're doing in your trainings. And maybe you could talk to us about the difference that you talk about be being about being a trans affirmative mental health provider and someone who's just informative and accepting. What's the difference? Yeah. So someone who's like informative and, and accepting, that's someone that's like, yeah, I, I, I get it. I'm down. Like that doesn't make me feel weird or, oh, I know I have a trans friend. Right. And so they, say that they work with trans issues in the room and then 
the session kind of turns into education for them or they don't really understand what the client's talking about or the client spends most of the time having to explain things or someone who's affirmative, you know, the client walks in and it's just, it's a really great, safe, warm, welcoming space. The client spends the time processing things. They could be coming in for something that has nothing to do with being trans. So the client's like, feels comfortable talking about stuff and not having to stop and explain what a term means or to go back and be like, oh, this is the difference between blah, 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 right? It's, it's creating an even playing ground. Yes. And that makes sense. It does. And a mostly educated therapist. And I say mostly because as much as you can be educated, there still has to be some explaining. And I think most LGBT people are open to doing some, but they don't want to be doing most of it. Correct. Well, yeah. And and you have to think about like, if you have two people in the room of different races, there's something that they will always have to be that, that's a more visible difference, right? That you're going to have to educate yourself on, but also we're all human, right? So it's a little bit easier to navigate the room of something with race or even different cisgender genders. But for some reason, the, the trans issue just really stumps people. It, it it makes them feel like they have to go through different, sorts of motions before we can even start the session. Yeah, I think a lot of and people... And that's the therapist, not, yes. the, not the client. <laughs> right, they they want, they really when my talks, what they say is they really want to do no harm, really very little harm and they're worried about that, so then they stumble, and so that's why these trainings and especially what you'll be doing is so important. <clears throat> you know, I used to say, uh, I still say it, it's one thing to be LGBT friendly, it's another thing to be LGBT informed. So it's exactly what you say, because most therapists, even in psychology today, they check the box, yep, I'm, a, I'm an affirmative therapist. And I say, no, you're not. You're not trained. You didn't go to any specific classes. You haven't done workshops. You haven't read a book. So it's like you say, they're friendly and they mean well, but um, they're not informed. Is that That's what you mean, right? Oh, yeah, totally. And, and the thing is, like, I know so many amazing uh, cisgender therapists who work with the trans community and they do such great work. And that's because they come from a place of being like, yeah, it's, it's another client. Yes. I have to understand the differences. So they go and they, they go to workshops, they go to trainings, they, uh, go above and beyond, right? It's not just the man mandated CEU box that they're checking off either. Right. Yep. So it, it's it's a very complicated, but yet not so complicated thing to be affirmative. And just for the listeners, can you explain what cisgender is? It's C-I-S gender. Can you explain? Yes, totally. Sorry, I'm so used to saying it all the time. All right. I forget that people don't know. Um, so cisgender, is, cis is the Latin word for same as, or the Latin phrase. So cisgender is born and the same gender their whole life, whereas trans is born and then transitioning to a different gender. So you can kind of think about the comparison as like heterosexual versus homosexual, um, cisgender versus transgender. I love that. And I, there's this quote. Have you heard this quote? <clears throat> you probably did at my workshop, but I didn't make it. Uh, sexual identity is who I go to bed with and gender identity is who I go to bed as. Do you like that? Yes. Oh, yeah, I say that one all the time. And sometimes I add, because of the non-binary aspect, 
to the world is uh, sometimes I'll say, and um, gender expression is what I go to bed wearing. <laughs> oh, because like, oh yeah, your your gender identity is is different. You could be a different expression during the day, right? One day you could wear boxers, the next day you could uh, wear a nightdress. Right? I love that. So a gender expression is what I'm wearing. Is that what you said? Yeah, what I go to bed wearing. Yeah, oh, I love it. You sleep nude, and then it doesn't really work. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> Um, you know, I know this is basic, but I just know some of my listeners were wanting to understand, like they'll, I've heard, I still have people, not just therapists, regular civilians, I'll call them. They'll say, you know, sure. can you say, why can't we say transvestite? And what about transsexual? And can you talk about that? Sure. Yeah, totally. Um, so you can, when you're talking about people who are trans, uh, consider themselves transsexual or transvestites. And so the main difference between transvestism and transgender is that uh, transvestite is usually a sexually related uh, identification. So you have a fetish, um, or I don't really like the word fetish, but you you have some sort of sexual reaction to dressing in the opposite gender clothing, and it's purely for sexual related purposes. Whereas transgender has nothing to do with sex; it's who you are as a person. So it's kind of unfair to consider yourself a sexual fetish, which you know. Uh, sometimes people do fetishize a trans person, but it's not the person themselves who are fetishizing themselves. Um, so that's the major difference. And then with transsexualism, we kind of shy away from that term now because in the past it used to mean someone who like had the, I quote, surgery, right? The sexual reassignment surgery. Mm-hmm. So you've transitioned your sexual organs but now there's no one way to really consider yourself transitioning. Some people don't even go through any medical uh, transition. So it's not really fair to have a term that doesn't describe the community anymore. So you really rarely, rarely hear that term. Mostly you'll hear it as the individuals who have been transitioned for like 25 plus years are above maybe 50, 55 years old, right? the older members, Mm -hmm. just how, you know, the queer community or gay communities, some say queer, some say gay means the same thing, but also kind of different. So that's, that's helpful to even me to hear that transsexual implies uh, that you've had, you know, some surgery or all the surgeries, whereas transgender is under an understanding that it may or may not be. Is that right? Exactly. Great. That's helpful for people to hear because people get so confused about it. And they also get confused, and you're going to talk about, and I'm glad to hear you say, talk about intersecting identities or what's also called intersectional identities. Can you explain that? Sure. Um, I guess the easiest way to think about it is no matter who you are, you're not just, you don't just belong to one community. So if you look at even the basic heterosexual white cisgender male, uh, he belongs to the Caucasian community and the white or uh, white, uh, the cisgender male community, right? So those are already two identities that he has. So you look at the trans community who um, already as a trans individual, you're sort of statistically on the lower accepted, lower socioeconomic scale. You have to look at what other communities they belong to. So for example, for me, I'm gay male identified. So while I'm trans, I'm also gay, and when I navigate 
my life, it can sometimes be complicated because as I move in and out of my own communities, my identity shifts and sometimes you lose kind of track of who you are or you sometimes don't belong to any of the intersection intersections at all. Right. So if you look at like a, let's, let's say a Latina trans woman, statistically, the Latina population, Latino population has a hard time accepting the trans community. So by transition, transitioning, she's sort of alienated herself from her own community. And that can be really, really difficult. So you have to consider every part of your identity um, when it comes to processing and working with the difficulties that attribute your life. Um, and to wrap that up, on the flip side, it can also be really wonderful and culturally enriching and really awesome to belong to a bunch of different identities. Um, but right now in the world, we kind of talk about how intersecting identities can present a lot of problems. Uh, hopefully that made sense. It's, it's kind of a mouthful, but... It's okay. It's a uh, hard thing to unpack for people, and I think I'm trying to do it on many of my shows. Uh, the thing that yeah. gets me to understand it um, the most is when I understand this horrible uh, statistic that the highest rate of murder are trans women of color because all yeah. each of those intersectional identities are seen as disposable in this country, right? Being trans, exactly. being female, and being a person of color. So then when she's all one, all of each one of these things, she's at higher risk. Yeah, and um, this quote that I heard a really long time ago, and I wish I remember who said it, but it it was at a talk, and there was this trans male, and he had talked about how he went from being the most ignored demographic in the world, so a black woman, um, a black cisgender woman, to being the most feared demographic, a black man. And I thought that was a really interesting way beautifully poetic mm. way to talk about intersecting identities where it's like, no matter what, he's black, um, which has statistics of its own. But as he navigated through the gender spectrum, the way he was viewed was changed. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was really eye-opening. Very eye-opening. And, uh, you know, hopefully as people are listening to this, they'll think about, you know, their own intersectional identities. I always introduce myself at my talks as I'm white, I'm male, I'm cisgender, I'm Jewish, I'm gay, I'm monosexual, I'm a Detroiter, I'm married, um, I'm a sexual abuse survivor, I'm kinky, and my pronouns are he, his, him. And each one of these things has their own privilege or discrimination. And then together they add and together they take away. Right? Isn't that how you see it too? Oh, yeah, totally. Um, There's just so many layers to unpack of every person. And unfortunately, some people, their layers are more visible than others. And usually when they're more visible, it means more target and more negative statistics. So it's just the world in which, which we live in right now, unfortunately. So I'm going to ask you some other things. Uh, this is so basic, but I just I, – I get it so much and I want – if you could talk about this, it would be great. Why is it – people will say – ask me this. Why is it that some people – like Chaz Bono transitioned and now he identifies as a heterosexual male, but you transitioned and you identify as a gay male. So people get confused mm-hmm. like, I don't get it and if you're transitioning, why aren't you to the opposite sex? And can you explain that to you? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, um, that's great question and I get it all the time. Um, so sex and gender, 
are not the same thing. Um, so we don't have any research. We do, so sex and gender uh, aren't the same thing, and we get confused all the time as humans. But basically, the way that I think about it, and there's no research, so this is all me and my anecdote, but it helps people understand, is that when you're born, you're kind of just born heterosexual, gay, bi, whatever, right? But what happens is when you're born in the wrong gender, you have to correct your gender. So your sexuality never actually changes. What changes is your outside. So for Chaz, if we look back at Chaz, he had always dated women, right? He um, was with a woman for a really long time. So as female, he was a lesbian. But when he transitioned, he transitioned to male, thus culturally now identified as a heterosexual male. So his sexuality never changed, but his gender did. Whereas mm-hmm. for me, I was always boy crazy. I loved boys. Um, so that made it even more confusing when I was like, hmm, something's weird here. Do I want to be a boy or am I? Or do I want to be with the boy? So I had to go through a lot of questioning and navigation. And then once I realized I was trans, I was like, oh, I want to be a boy and I like boys, right? So my sexuality shifted as my gender identity shifted, but who I was attracted to always kind of stayed the same. Now, what about does that? Make sense? It does. Now, I I have a trans male therapist in my group practice here at the Center for Relationship and Sexual Health, Nick Zelke, and he said to me, "You also might want to warn some of your clients that when they start hormone therapy, their sexual orient, they may discover a change in their sexual attraction and sexual orientation." Have you heard that? Oh, yeah, that's the big myth, especially with trans men, that testosterone makes you gay. Um, <laughs> that goes to my, um, that goes back sort of to what I'm saying is that quite possibly they always were attracted to a specific gender. It's just that because they were questioning, you know, their own gender identity, they were confused about whether or not their feelings were because they wanted to be that person or be with that person. So I think what happens is once you start becoming comfortable in your body, your gen- your sexual orientation sort of starts to become settled as well. Now, I don't want to sound binary either. There's people in this world that change and shift and explore. I just think that that had always been innate in them as well. They just didn't really, it's hard to focus on two things at one time, if that makes sense, right? And usually when you're coming to terms with your gender identity, that takes, that takes front stage. Once you're settled, then you kind of get to explore other aspects of your identity as well. So, um, I hope that makes it a little bit more clear. It's a very confusing concept even to me in general, but, um, that's why I love humans. I know. so rich and full and beautiful and, I think it'll be relieving for people to know that you as a trans male um, are confused about things too because then it's not – people don't feel so horrible like I should know and a lot of therapists especially feel like they should, you know, 
one uh, research, I forget the woman's name. I wish I'd written it down, but she had basically said that um, the hormone therapy, uh, I, by the way, I didn't know that the fear was hor- testosterone will make you gay. But what she says is hormone therapy will, while it's gender aligning you, it will sexually align you. And like you said, your innate unexamined sexual self will start to uh, you know, reveal itself. So it's always been there. That's not a change. It's a revelation. Exactly. And I tell, at least I told my clients and my friends, you know, um, I'm like, listen, you are so awesome. And you just took this huge step in your life to transition or come out or whatever that you got to sort of do the same with your sexuality. Like if you want to go sleep with that person and that seems uncharacteristic of your sexual preference, great, go do it. Then you'll know whether or not you know, as long as it's consensual and safe and all that, but like go explore yourself, go live. Like that's, that's part of our life experience. So let's talk about sex. We have five more minutes and I I really want to make sure people understand not to exploit it at all, but to understand, like I'll tell therapists, I know a lot of trans people don't want to be asked what's going on down there. That's a horrible question to ask. We would never go up to a cisgender person and say what's going on down there, you know? But I do think that as therapists, I'll say things like as a sex therapist, I might say, how do you use your body for sex? What parts are on limits? What parts are off limits? Can you teach us what, how, how do you talk about that with a trans person? Yeah. um, So instead of saying like, what's going on down there, you know, you can always say like, what's going on up there? Like in reference Mm. to your brain, right? Wait, 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 wait. I love that. What's going on up there? Do you mind? I'll quote you, but I'm going to use it. Yeah, totally. Um, it's like thinking about like, what are you thinking about? Like, what is the issue? What makes you scared? What makes you fearful? How are you thinking about using your body? Right. And so for some clients, when they come into the room, you know, they come in and they're like, I've never had sex with, let's say, you know, a cisgender male before, and I'm scared and I don't know where to put it. And so you talk about that, but then you also talk about like, so what do you want them to call your various, you know, body parts. What do you want? Like, walk me through it. Let's role play. Because here's the thing that I tell my clients is if they're not comfortable discussing it with me or at least with themselves, then they shouldn't really be doing it. Right. Mm -hmm. Because that's just going to cause a lot of pain, a lot of fear and, it might ruin the experience and I don't want sex to be ruined for someone. I want you to go out and do it again and again and again. So, um, yeah, it's, it's just starting with that basic question. What's going on up there? And how should they be talking about it? Like I had a client once who had a dissociative experience for herself because she hadn't told her, uh, partner she didn't have a sexual health conversation and they had been drinking and never shared that she didn't want her uh, penis um, used as a sexual tool in, in being together and it happened and it was very hard for her do you hear stories like that oh yeah all the time and you know it might sound silly but sometimes what i'll do is i'll have clients like write kind of on a piece of paper like what's on limits what's off limits like stick it in their wallet and like just like a condom or just like some sort of contraception, it takes a minute to put it on with that note out and be like, okay, listen, this is what's going to make it comfortable for me. Because if the partner 
says to you, oh, no, I don't, that's a mood kill. Then maybe you shouldn't be having sex with that person to begin with, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, what's the worst that's going to happen? They're going to respect you and have you'll have a great time? Or they'll say no and not have a good time? Like, you don't have sex at all? Or you never do it to begin with and you have this horribly traumatic experience. Mm-hmm. So it's getting your client comfortable with talking about their body, which I know sounds really weird because as trans people, even to this day, there's parts of my body that I'm super uncomfortable about. As humans, we're uncomfortable about parts of our body. But that's the real difference between an affirming and an informed or a accepting therapist. Yeah. And talking about sex is really important. And you know, there's a lot of trans people. We get the wrong sexual education to begin with. Exactly. There's so much more we could say. We're probably going to bring you back sometime Uh, in a half an hour. There's uh, just not enough time. Tell us Jacob where people can find you on the internet. Yeah. um, My nonprofit's called queer works. So queer works, Dot org. Uh, I'm also on Instagram, J Rostovsky, R O S T O V S K Y. Um, and you can find me through either one of those. And this was really awesome. I, I could talk about this all day. So uh, anytime you want, I'm, I'm around. Well, I hope that maybe uh, we might even do more projects together. And it's just a, a really important uh, and, and um, of strong interest in the therapeutic community and even outside the therapy community. And it's great that you're doing it. Thank you so much for being on my show. Yeah, no problem. And you have a, a happy Yom Kippur. Oh, right. thanks. Thanks. You too, right? You're Jewish. <laughs> yes. All right. You too. <laughs> Thank you. All right. See ya. Thanks for listening to this episode of Smart Sex, Smart Love. I'm Dr. Joe Court, and you can find me on joecourt.com. That's J-O-E-K-O-R-T.com. See you next time.